Hallelujah, Christ is risen. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. A uh, dear friend of mine recently gave me a book on Christian ethics. And it's an old book. It was published in 1935. You can tell that it's old because the, um, the title of this book on Christian ethics is Christian Ethics. So it's, you know, back in the day when you didn't have to, like, impress anyone with book titles. When, when that was enough to sell a book. I mean, what a world. But ethics is just uh, the field of thought about how you live your life. And so this book is sort of a guide on how the Christian is supposed to navigate the world. And there's like tons of these books out there. Uh, there's lots and lots of them because the, the world keeps changing and we start having all these different questions about all sorts of different things in the world. So there will be Christian ethics books published as long as there are Christians uh, left to think about what we're supposed to be doing in the world. But... Uh, so published in 1935, though, this book has um, just some absolutely wonderful stuff in it. And um, here's, here's what it has to say about, about marriage. There's a, there's a section called a Prerequisites for Marriage. And I love this. He says, not until a young man is able to assume the responsibilities of being the head of a house and the representative of the family group, should he bind a young woman to himself for life? Huh. Basically, if the man cannot support his wife and their children, he should not burden the wife with marriage. The man has got to be the head of the household in more ways than one. He's supposed to be able to bring home the bacon as well as lead the household prayers, which is, I realize, a lot to ask. But back in 1935, that's all we had. It's good. It's very good. That's the way of our grandfathers, fallen as they were. Work, play, worship, work hard, take your kids to church, play catch with them, all of that. Nowadays, we want everyone to be a leader. Everyone. Like every single church conference I go to is all about pastoral leadership. Every school assembly, leadership. Because if you're not leading, you're following. There's nothing worse than being a follower today, is there? You wouldn't dare just be a follower. But guess what? That's okay. Not everyone can or should be a leader. You are a disciple. Every single one of you. Disciple just means follower. You follow Jesus. And you should rejoice in that and be proud of that more than any of the other great callings that you have been given. You follow Jesus and you go where he is gone. And he has blazed a trail through the grave, through death itself, through resurrection and into new life. And you have been given this path. You have been placed upon this narrow way, walking and living and following Jesus in everything that you have 
And there is no part of you that is not on this path behind Jesus. It is enough. It really is enough just to follow Jesus and to be his disciple. But they will never tell you that you're enough. You'll never have enough. You'll never get enough. You will never be enough because there's this requirement of greatness that we're casting upon everything and everyone now in the world. And now no one is allowed to be average anymore. But that is what most people are. I mean, you are special. You really are, but, but not really. And there's something nice about that. Happy families are all alike. And every happy family, every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way, of course. Yes. But what are you hoping for in life? To be noticed? Are you hoping to be rewarded? Can you ever be enough? Well, you are enough. You are pleasing to the Lord of the universe who has given himself for you. You are pleasing to the God of the whole entire creation who has decided to bring you along with him. And he has decided to make you holy and clean and righteous and pure. And so if you live in that, then you cannot go wrong and you will live a good life. Our problem is that we've decided that we are meant for more than what God has given us. We have bought into a philosophy of living and of ethics that's based on me and my desires, what I want to do, that that should matter most, rather than what the Lord has given to us. And there's no objective truth about this anymore. Well, whatever is good for you is whatever is good. Mm. The idea that a man and a woman should get married and then like... Uh, have a family, be a family together, and be faithful? It seems completely outlandish today. Well, you get nervous even talking about things like that or trying to be that. And then on top of that, we no longer value any sort of meaningful work, but we view work as solely a means to an end of getting money. Man is created to work, not to get money and to buy stuff. We worked before money existed. This is what Adam is doing in the Garden of Eden. But all we do now is work to get money and buy stuff to make us happy. This will not work out well for our society, and it will not work out for you as an individual. What the Lord has given really is enough. We heard about this in, in the Old Testament reading. They're out there in the middle of the wilderness. The Lord has been providing miraculous food for them. And all they say, Ugh, we loathe this worthless food. <sighs> okay, have it your way. It's not good. Sin destroys you. My only comfort with our current confusion, with the intentional destruction and distortion of the family, is that this cannot last forever and it will eventually burn itself out because the grass eventually grows up through the concrete. God's word undergirds and supports the very structure of the whole entire creation, of the whole entire world and universe, and you will not be able to erase what God has written. 
no matter how hard you try to pave it over. In the beginning, he made them, male and female, Adam and Eve, husband and wife, father and mother. Is it enough to live a peaceful and quiet life? Is it enough to live godly and be dignified in every way? Is it enough? Well, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God seems to be okay with it. Now, uh, the church has seen its, I don't have to tell you this, you've been around long enough. It, the church has seen its fair share of panic-driven, hokey evangelism projects and programs, and they all have consultants and experts and trademarked slogans. And uh, it seems like for a long time, the church has been, just been trying to get people to notice that we are here. Uh, you can remember some of the names of these various evangelism programs, I'm sure. Maybe you were very devoted to them. Uh, I, I, I bet you were, but you can't remember all of them, I'm sure. And the people who come up with these sorts of evangelism programs, excuse me, I have stepped on the wrong chord. There's all sorts of chords up here, too, from, from a time, uh, from a bygone era with different microphones, when we had different evangelism programs and, and different binders, 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 binders. We have so many binders. And binders upon binders have been filled with three hole punch schemes just trying to get people into church. Anything that will get them into the door. Huh. Perhaps we should stick with the five wounds of Christ instead. Is evangelism just marketing? Is there a difference between how a church exists and say a restaurant or a bank or some other business? What's the difference? Would that we had a church with no more programs or projects than the Bible, the hymnal, and the catechism it's all here. We have it. Everything. And people will worry about which curriculum to use for this or for that class. And there is good stuff out there for sure to kind of help you along. But you have everything you need. You have everything you need for a family, a faithful family, a faithful church, and, if we would like it, a faithful world. You've been given that. It is right there in front of you. God's word is given to you. Don't panic. Don't worry. Because God desires that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what God wants. So stay calm. What use is there in panicking? then I tell you what, it is a good thing that that's what God wants. He is not seeking your destruction or anyone else's. And so you, living a peaceful and quiet life, 
That's enough. And if it's not possible out there somewhere, well, your home, your home can be a place where a father can be a father and a mother can be a mother. Moms and dads, they're not interchangeable. And every child has a mom and a dad. So no one else is going to do this for you. When a father cannot be a father, a mother cannot be a mother. Make it so in your home. So for three weeks now, I don't know if anyone else has been tracking with this. For three weeks now, we have heard from John 16. And not, not in a linear way either. Like the readings jump around. It drives me a little bit crazy. I don't know why it's like this. And no one really does. But it's one of those fun things we have in the church that it's just been gifted to us like that. And so, you know, we'll use it. It's worth remembering, though, that a large portion of John's gospel takes place on Maundy Thursday in the upper room. The world is a wild whirlwind all around them, isn't it? Jerusalem is packed, and it's packed with people who want to kill Jesus. There is real fury, and there's a lot to be afraid of. Palm Sunday, everyone comes out uh, to greet Jesus with, with shouts of Hosanna. And this just whips it up even worse than before, and it gives more uh, motivation to the plot to kill Jesus. And there on Monday, Thursday, in the upper room, Jesus is seated with all the disciples. Judas himself is there. Jesus knows what's going on. And yet, he is sitting right there with the betrayer, the one who would hand him over to be crucified. And what does Jesus do with this? Does he run off and head for the hills? Well, he washes their feet. He teaches them. He teaches them how to pray. It's interesting. They didn't know that they were supposed to pray in the name of Jesus. He had to tell them that. So we continue to do this today. He teaches them how to pray and he shares a meal with them. And the whole time, they sing. Singing. Singing when the world is closing in around you. Do not allow the panic of this world to overtake you. Because you follow a Lord who went peacefully to his own death and he has given you that very same peace and he gives it to you in this very same meal that he shared with his disciples on the night when he was betrayed he's preparing them for what was to come he would go away for a little while they would see him no longer and then he would come back raised from the dead And he has gone away for a little while right now, hasn't he? Do you see him? No. 
He's gone away into a tomb, into resurrection. He's gone away and is ascended on high, seated in glory at the right hand of the Father, which is to say that he has all power and authority in heaven and on earth. It is not given to you to panic or to worry about the things of this world. Oceans will rise, empires fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The church stands forever. Not even the gates of hell will prevail against it, against you or your family even. Sounds pretty good to me. That sounds like something that I might be able to live with some peace and quiet about. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.